Hello, comedy nerds. I'm Masavia Greer. And I'm Mike George. Today on Comedy Anatomy, we have the very funny Lenny Marcus. Lenny Marcus is one of my favorite comics far as timing and wit. I yeah. think he's hysterical. Very funny guy and beloved, right? Amongst very the beloved. Yes. Very beloved, yeah. So Lenny is a veteran comic with over 20 years experience. He's performed on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, The Late Show with David Letterman numerous times. And now he works and collaborates a lot with Leslie Jones of SNL fame. Uh, he's toured around the world with her, worked on her TV specials, and now he's producing Supermarket Sweep on ABC, which is hosted by Leslie Jones. And now, enjoy our conversation with Lenny Marcus. Lenny Marcus, thank you so much for joining us today. You got it. Masavia yeah. um, said that you are beloved in the comedy community in New York. Is that true? I don't know. That's for other people to talk about, I guess. You, you keep to your word. You commit to it, you know. Musabi says, I need you at four o'clock. I'm there at 359, you know, like respect, respect given, respect gotten, you know. So quick story. I show up for the I show up for Zooms early, you know, because I'm afraid I don't want people waiting. That's just who I am. So Leslie Jones and I do a lot of work together now. And um anyway, we're doing a pro we were doing a project at one time with uh J Jamie Foxx. So now it's a Zoom. The Zoom is going to be me, Jamie Foxx, Jamie's guy who's Leslie's, you know, the equivalent to me for Jamie Foxx, you know, like Leslie's right-hand man, I'm his right, I'm a right man. I get on first. Who's second? I'm waiting for who's second? Jamie Foxx. So now <laughs> I've never met Jamie Foxx. So Jamie Foxx gets on and immediately, you know, I start the sweat starts pouring down my you know like just just very slowly i'm like leslie don't do this to me it's four o'clock i'm you know i'm there at 359 jamie's the first one come on wow. leslie's last as always <laughs> you know like so it's me talking to so i'm like hey jamie fox for like a good five minutes hey jamie fox loved ray you know like he's i know he's working on a tyson thing so i'm like hey i heard you're working on this tyson thing like it's just this poor man is just like, who is this dork that I got to talk to for five minutes? Yeah. You know? But he was nice, right? He was so nice. He's so nice. He's a great guy. Great guy. We had a great conversation five minutes. That's awesome. Oh. So Lenny, getting back to how you started in all this, you're now, yeah. you're now successful career in comedy. Before you, that was not sarcastic. I actually <laughs> meant that. But, but before you started, what was it that you wanted out of it? Obviously everything changes with age and everything else, but when you first started, was it? Was, it, it was all about being happy. I was, I, this wasn't my first, you know, I didn't start this till I was 30. I started, I was, I went to school, got out of school and did exactly what my parents wanted. I didn't do anything in high school. I didn't touch a microphone until I was 30 years old. What were you doing? And, uh, I was, a, I know this is going to sound shocking from what I look like, but I was a computer programmer. Uh, I was a programmer analyst, uh, systems engineer, and I worked for Ross Perot. Remember Ross Perot? Yes. I worked for Ross Perot. I worked for Ross Perot for a company called Electronic Data Systems. And that's what he sold that company and then ran for president in the early 90s. But I worked with them. I worked in corporate America. I was writing computer programs for GM, AT&T, you know, with this company, EDS. And um, I was just miserable. I'm like, I just didn't see myself as going down what I call like path A. In life is like you go to school, you get married, you get 
two kids go to 40 years, they give you a gold watch, you have grandchildren, you die. I mean, I just didn't see that. I just couldn't go down that path. It was like, there's got to be something more than this. And I always wanted to do comedy. I've been talking, you know, my college roommate and I listen, listen to albums. We like, we always wanted to do this, but we always said, he kept saying, before I'm 30, I'm going to get on stage, before I'm 30. And then I got to like 29. I'm like, are we doing this? And he was like, he, he kind of chickened out of the whole thing. And I'm like, I realized that you're going to be too old if you don't get on stage right now. I started like that. And I just started went going to open mics just to find happiness. That's all it was. It was just to be happy. I wasn't happy what, doing what I was doing. What did you study in school? Uh, math, computer science. Wow. At, even if you go back to that time, though, were you happy in college? I know I was happy. I wasn't lost. I, I mean, it was a nice career. I mean, I met a lot of great people. Was it difficult at 30 to go from a job, stability, uh, respect to starting over, to willing to take that. That's a really scary move for anyone. Well, I didn't, I didn't just jump in the pool. That would have been really scary. It was more like um, I started, there was like an open mic near where I worked. It just so happened the stress factory in New, New Jersey was right near where I moved at this one time for this one assignment. Oh, really? And it was okay. yeah, down the road. And the guy, the owner, this guy, Vinnie Brand, had just opened this his latest location. It's been there for 25 years now. But he had opened it and he hang, he hung signs, like yellow yield signs, like on a pole saying, for a good time, call 545 haha. And I must have zooped by that sign, like going 60. Like he hung them all over. He got in so much trouble with the with New Jersey, by the way, when I, they figured out what who hung these stupid signs because they look like road signs. I'm like, I'm slowing down. I'm like, it was dangerous. And that's where it started. I was like, it was right near where I worked. And every Wednesday, I just started doing the open mic. Was it hard when I was 30? Yeah, because everybody there was like 20. You know, 20, 21, 22. It's Rutgers. It's right next to Rutgers University. And so I started going there every Wednesday and trying to just figure it out. Were you judging yourself, asking questions like, am I too old? Uh, yeah. All, all, this, all the things that uh, adversity that affects someone. Well, I never thought about my age really until you realize the other people are so young. And then, oh man, I'm, I should have done this a couple of years ago because it's going to take me a little while to figure it out. That hits you fast. And then two, I'm like, you bombed so bad. I mean, I was bombing so bad that it was like, I can't be this unfunny. I can't be, I cannot be this unfunny. So I, I knew that it was a process Yeah. and uh, I just was willing to, you know, to really work at it. And that these, what my advantage was that I had lived a little bit of a life that these kids didn't. So when you're 20, you haven't worked really. You haven't had a boss. You haven't had a girlfriend. You haven't had, like, some of these guys didn't have anything to draw on, but like drinking and they're, you know, and I had, you know, I, I could talk about an apartment. I could talk about paying rent. I could talk about going to work. Could talk about the people in my office. So I had a little more, my jokes were just smarter than your actual 20 year old. So the combination was weird, but it kind of worked to my advantage. And I figured it out faster. Some of those people are probably still there. You know, they, they just weren't that good. They just wanted to go for it. Right. Yeah. And I was also thinking about the years when I met, when I met you, I met you at the Boston and it was like, you had like a crew. It was like, like you guys had like a very tight community like you helped each other out were, were you working at the same time or you still had your day job yeah no i was working it was <laughs> yeah it was exhausting and then i'd say like two three two and a half years in i had figured out i had some i had an okay set i was doing this back and forth and i finally said to my boss i'm like can you transfer me into manhattan and so eventually i i transferred to manhattan the only reason i live on the upper west side is because it was right near stand up new york and that's where i did the bringer shows i figured i just walked to the club 
you know, earlier you were saying that you realized early when you started and you weren't funny that it was a process. Yep. And I always wonder for people who come from your background, mathematics, and I feel like the approach to comedy is a little different. You're using, especially in the early years, maybe a different part of your brain where you're not just being an artist wearing a beret. You break things down differently. Is that how you approached it? Well, I never, I mean, all the stuff, everything you are eventually comes into play you know in whatever you do and for me it was like okay it's a scientific thing with a set list it's a scientific thing of how I want to open it's a scientific thing on how I want to like what they see of you in the first minute is scientific and the books back it up these creative books on stand-up back it up if you do read so and I did reading on it and then you start to you start to hear the patterns like okay this guy doesn't open up with his anal joke because he, there's nowhere to follow it. He's smart. He talks about what he looks like. And then he, you know, it, it, and it morphs as it goes and you get more and more information. So it is kind of technical. And you, I would just thought, I just didn't understand it. It's obvious to everybody, but no, even to this day, you watch these veterans and stuff make big, terrible mistakes. And, and I laugh, I'm like, you know better, but to me it's technical and I stick to the, my rules and these guys you know, sometimes they don't. But even like Leslie, when I work with Leslie, she goes on interviews and says stuff like, he had this thing in his pocket. And I'm like, what is she saying? And I'm like, you mean a set list? And she didn't like, she never used a set list. I'm like, you never use a set list? Like the first thing I did for her is put her shit on a set list. And I'm like, you've never seen this before, a set list. Right. And it was like, mind blowing. Yeah, never seen a set list before. Never, never, seen, never had a set, never wrote a set list. I like wrote her her first set list. And I'm like, you know, even the Rolling Stones have a set list, you know, like, what sure. did it ease it out for? Did it make a difference to her? Yeah, did it change? Difference. She's yeah. like, holy shit, who are you? I'm like, who am I? <laughs> like everybody else who has a yeah, set. Yeah, who are you? <laughs> you know? When I first started doing stand up, when I had those nights early where I would bomb, I would have incredible self-doubt and I would have incredible moments of this is not for me I'm not funny they're all right and I'm wondering if being more analytical about it helped you realize oh no it's a process it was that a part of it how do you get to that space well if there's a self-confidence in it I knew I was funny there's no way I can keep making these people laugh in my office or whatever with one-liners my whole life it was figuring out like set up some punchlines are technical you know it is what's your setup you know what's your punchline you know what's the information that you have to give in so it's very technical you know it's it's very it's very much you have to make the audience feel a certain way sometimes you have to make them think a certain way sometimes you have to make it believable sometimes like so i can't talk about being on pluto because nobody's going to believe i was on pluto you know, right. you have to say something if I was on Pluto, you know, there's a big difference in those two sentences, you know, so. mm-hmm. to your point with Leslie, she does not approach it that way. Well, I don't know her approach, but it sounds like it's more gut and it's more feel your way through it. Would you say well, she does some people it's different things for different people. She just has probably the best comedic instincts of anybody I've ever worked with. You know, she just knows she just she's intuitive to the nth degree. She just has way more of that than most normal people. I might be more scientific on that end. So we kind of balance each other out. But we meet in the middle in the creative side, you know, but we both understand what's funny, but she is like intuitive. Like, yeah, that's it. That's what I want right there. You know, she she knows what she wants. Yeah, you know, in all the years of watching you too, Lenny, if I had to do comedy, you were one of the comics I 
I'd say I would love to have your delivery. That's just, your observation, like like the timing and the way you would layer a joke. You know? Well, the way that I got to that was I would go watch different guys. Like when I started, I couldn't figure out how they did it so naturally. Like that was one of the technical things. You asked me technical stuff. Like how, the segue was mind blowing because you when you watch a comic go from beginning to end, you're like, wait a second. He was talking about shirts. And now he's talking about Cleveland. How did that even <laughs> remotely happen, right? How did he go? So I went down one time to like the Princeton Catch Rising Star. This guy could get us tickets and Kevin James was headlining. But now I'm not watching like an audience member anymore. I'm sitting there watching. That was the only time I ever did this. I sat and I just listened to how he segued. Okay, I get it. And the light bulb went on. Like, okay, that, that I get now. It's just... It's, you know, he, it, if you listen like that, you realize how it can be done. Like, okay, now I know it can be done. It's not genius. It's just, you, you gotta be smart about it. And then in the city, the style was like, Attell was the man. So right. if you listen to Dave Attell, he was just, the, he's still to me, the best comic who's ever lived. Cause I never see it coming. I never see it coming. The so, the so I throw, you never see it coming. If I can make it so you don't see it coming, that's good. So I'm like thinking about how do I get from A to B? Then I'm thinking about how do I make them never see it coming? Then I have to, then you got to layer what you layers your own personality on top of that. And all of it, when I tell people like, you can't just go from A to Z that quickly. It's very, it's like an inchworm. You don't see it move, but it will move. So I tell people all the time, like you just, it takes time to find your voice. It takes time what that is. And that, that's just some of it. I mean, I do have some natural ability and some of it's that, Masabia. It's just like, it's, uh, I'm not, set, I usually have the one line that I like, and then I grow on the one line. And if I could just find the one line of what I want to say, I can build around that one line, so. You know, it's like, for me, it's like, uh, I did study jazz a little bit. I took up some uh, uh, classical, but I always was into the rhythm. And so yeah. working behind the scenes and looking at comics over the years, I always noticed some comics have a great rhythm and some don't. But the ones who really mess up just can't get one, two, three, four. Right. Oh, I still do that. I can't, you know, there are days where I go up and I can't, I can't hit the beat, you know, like I just can't buy it. You know, like it's just, it's a new joke. It's not in my exact form. I have the idea, but I can't Lenny get it. I can't get it in Lenny form yet. And it's like, I know it's funny. It's just like, well, I either put it back on a shelf or I just keep working on it until I find the angle. Oh, like, oh, and usually I'm wrong. It's like, oh, it wasn't, they didn't like this part. They like this part. So it's right. like, still, I just don't have, some of these guys have better, I think, natural ability. That's my insecurity, but I think they have natural ability to hear it. It's like when you go, you tell, say something, I can't tell you how many times out of my mouth goes, God, make a great bit. Oh my God, that's a joke. And people, they look at me like, what? But you can do it back to me probably as a comic. Like you should talk about that. I'm like, really? That happens all the time. I mean, I could follow Leslie around with a microphone for two weeks. And if I did that, we'd have an album in, in, oh, in two weeks because she's that ridiculous. You know, it's, it's just all her stuff. Eventually you could mine for gold. But nobody walks around recording themselves for two weeks. Yeah, so every narcissistic person who wants to record <laughs> themselves every minute. You bang on material though. It's not even record yourself. It's listening back to yeah, yourself. That's painful, right? Yeah. Um, so, so is your process? Do you write on stage or do you write sitting at a computer? How, how do you do it? I have okay. That's funny. We're sitting here. I have I have like 
the post-it note is the greatest thing ever invented. Like I have, well, now everything goes in your phone, but I mean, I still have, look at this, piles and piles of like just little post-it notes of just like premises on lines of just constant lines of like, okay, this is something, this is something, this is something. And then eventually I got to go through these and go, what was that? You know, what was the idea? Now I write them out a little more on the phone because wherever I am, like, okay, exactly how I want to say it, you can write that. But a lot of guys would still walk around with a pencil and paper. And I do, to, if, I guarantee if, if you see me in a club, if I don't have a set list in my pocket with a bunch of notes on it, there's something wrong. Some, I'm very confident. <laughs> it's, ne it's never happened. I have my set in my pocket when I did Letterman. <laughs> it's still, and then when I go back to that suit, I'm like, oh, uh, here's my set list from the last time I wore this on letter. You know what I mean? Like, it's just. You're doing a new bit. You, ha you have the post-it note. Do yeah. You take one or two lines and hit the stage or do you yeah. write it work? Okay. I do that. I mean, I have, I definitely, there are some times like now the ones I'm working on during a pandemic, like there's been no stage and there's been no, like, sometimes it's immediate. I come with an idea, but I'm half-baked. I'm on the way there. And then I can try and talk it out to see if the premise is good. You know, sometimes they look at you like, what, what? You know, and I know immediately now. That's the greatest thing about time. It's like you, I know pretty much immediately. They're not buying this. They're not buying. It. And then when it comes out of my mouth, I'm like, "Oh, that was a bad. That was not a good." Even still, you can write something thinking. I mean, I think this is everybody, but I love yeah. it. I'm gonna kill. I love it. And then you get on stage, yeah. and no, heartbreaking, heartbreaking. Yeah. To this day, heartbreaking. Like I got, I got like ten of them. When I go back, I haven't done comedy in one year, it's, which is unbelievable. Because if I wasn't on stage for three days, I'd start to shake. And it's been a year. So right. this has been really weird. But when I go back, I got about 10. Like we were just saying, I got some good premises. And they're not just one line. They're, they got a, I got a couple of things where I'm like, okay, this has got to work. It's got to work. Have you done any Zoom comedy shows? Or I did one show? early. Like some company paid me to do one to settle people down in May, made them feel better. And I haven't done, yeah. I haven't done anything since. You know, and it's been really, now I'm, I'm getting nervous because I am going back in like a month. Are you touring? No, I'm going to, I'm just going to go back to the clubs in the city. Right now I'm doing a lot of work with Leslie on huge projects. So back to you, you're, you're working uh, full time. You're now in, you're in Manhattan. When did you go? You know what? This is my new life. I'm, I'm full time. Uh, 2001. It was a great year to leave. Uh <laughs> Because September, September 10th is when you gave your notice. Just about. Uh, it was great timing. Like 2000. Yeah, I was. Uh, I started in 95 and I didn't go back to work in 2001. But my mom was sick and I'm like, uh, and she passed away in 2001. And I was going to Sloan Kettering between sets. You know, like I would go visit her all night and then I'd go to do like an open, you know, like a late night at the cellar. I mean, at the strip and just to feel better about anything, just to get it out, you know. And then I, that, that was my life for for the first month. And then she passed away in like August, uh, like July. And then I finally got over it and I was feeling pretty good in September. <laughs> I was like, all right, let's go back to this career. And then 9-11 happened. I'm like, OK, this is not going to be a good year. I'm going to tell you right now. So. 9-11, your mom had just passed away, which I'm sorry to hear. And then it, you're making this giant leap. Yeah, it was it was petrifying. But I would make a little, I did a little road. I did, a, then I was passed at the clubs, in this, a couple clubs in the city, which helped. And that money that I made during the, that helped. And also right around that time, there was like, a, like commercials 
like took off in Manhattan and I booked two commercials somehow. So it was all like meant to be. I booked like a Marriott commercial just sitting on a plane and that paid money for rent the first year. And I think I booked one for the second year. So, so it kind of like, it kind of bankrolled until I got good enough to like middle and I start in the mid nineties and it starts to come down and then nine 11 hits and it really goes, that's so was this big wane. Yeah. Didn't you jump into writing though at some point too? I had a manager at the time, Masavia knows who I'm talking about. And I said to him like, listen, I want to do everything. You know, I not only don't want to be a comedian, I want to be a really great comedian, but he's like, what else are you doing? I'm like, well, I'm shooting, I'm thinking about doing this short film and like he's like and going to acting class and acting what do you want to do any of that for just just focus on comedy and two things went through my head one this guy's an idiot two i should write a show about managers how horrible they are and uh and and that's what i did i wrote a show about how bad managers are in the city because everybody was going through the same weird experience. What do you think and it is about that? Why are managers, what type of person becomes <laughs> a manager? Why are they all horrible? I think it's because they have a crazy arrogance to think that they can mold you into something when no. Two, they have a <laughs> they have an innate ability, they think they're smarter than you. And in my case, no. And three <laughs> That's what I've learned. It took me a while to learn that. I'm like, this guy's supposed to be smarter than me. And that was one of the things I'm like, he is, I gotta be smarter. I said that to him one time. I'm like, I was hoping that you were gonna be smarter than me. You know, like, <laughs> you have all this experience. You're just I, very honest where you just say, hey, can we sit down for a second? I really <laughs> thought you were smarter than me, but I've learned you're not. Yeah, who does this for a living? Like you're gonna base <laughs> your life on 10% of what I do. You should be hustling your ass off Give me shit, and he wasn't. I'm like, so this guy's lazy and stupid. Like, fuck no. <laughs> you know what's so funny? It's it's not just smarter. Uh, I think that's that's true. But you feel like they have some knowledge and experience, right? That they know something you don't. Right. They just know something. So when they say, "Not nah, focus on your comedy." you think well they must know so, i mean they know they know they know they're the expert and then no yeah but you got hours a day and you'll come up with what this whole what what the fuck do you know about creative process nothing they don't know they know nothing well like i mean but isn't a, a manager supposed to have the answer as far as getting you through the door being yeah. able to call people yes. setting you up for certain things theoretically you know, it's like, you're going to get so many offers, you won't know which is the good one. And this guy knows exactly what to do because he's been seeing everything, all the moves, he's got, you know, he's playing three-dimensional chess. And I'm like, no, he's a fucking idiot. I'm like, oh my God, I can do that. I'm the smart one. What am I What do I need you for? No, yeah. it's so funny. You got the agent, which is 10%. Sometimes the manager's 15. Then you yeah. got a lawyer who's five. Why not? Why not throw a contractor and a janitor? Everyone take a percent. It's so true that no one really knows. Who is it? William Goldman said no one knows anything. I at said, the same time, Mike, though, at the same time, you need these guys in certain cases. I mean, wouldn't you say guys get to that level because of their managers? Look, the system is said, like, I would, the first question I asked was, why can't I call the director of, like, and they're like, you can't call him. The, your manager has, or an agent has to call him. Why? What, who set the system up? That's that classic me. Like, why do I can't talk to the guy who's trying to hire people? I'll talk to him. You know, what do I need the middle? They're all middlemen. Like, why do I need the middlemen? So I walked, I walked away from it. I'm like, 
I didn't do this. I did this to be happy. We talked about this in the beginning. I did this to be happy. I didn't, I didn't do this so to make you money. I didn't do this so I could be a pawn in your game. It's funny because the happiness is a tough, I think in this industry, maybe built in, maybe not, there's always the moving goalpost. So you get, I want to get to which you've done and you've had a lot of success. I want to get to be on Letterman, which is like an iconic thing to do. I want to get to being on the tonight show and then you do it. And then there we go. Got it. And then yeah, now, what? and then I get a TV show. And then now what, how do you deal with those elements? Well, I mean, my goal was to get on Letterman. Right. And Norton even said once I did, he's like, you should have shot higher. But uh, <laughs> Jim Norton. And I'm like, Jim Norton was saying that. Yeah. 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 And I'm like, I never thought of it that way. You know, I was like, it was always like that. Get on Letterman was the goal. That was it. it. Took me 17 years because I didn't have the manager. I didn't have the agent. I didn't have somebody constantly pushing. But even when they did, they were bad at it. And the crazy part is Eddie Brill, who was the booker of the show forever, I knew Eddie. He started, he was the host of like this Monday night show at Caroline's. I knew him since I started. So every once in a while, I just call up Eddie and like, can I audition? You know, and I, yeah, if you had a manager, that would help you, you know, keep calling, let, let the manager call Eddie or have you seen him lately? Have you seen him? It probably would have been better, but you know what? I never thought of it like that. I, I just thought of it like, it's going to happen. I'm just going to work hard as hell and I'm going to get a set that is going to be undeniably funny. And then they can't, they, they have to put me on. They have to, I never thought about no. And, um, but then you're right. Like when it's, it's like, okay, now what, you know, there's like, well, I got to do it again. You know, like, okay, do it again. But then you get all those things like, okay, now what, what's the next goal? You know, there wasn't a lot to get for the, that period again, for a long time, it was comedy central only business. And then, you know, if you couldn't, if they didn't like you or you couldn't get on or you didn't want to work with them, there was really nowhere to go other than writing gig. And I was like, no, so Do you think it's a click in this business too, Lindy? Like, yeah, I don't, I never thought, I never disparaged anyone because I didn't, I thought it was golf, you know, like this guy could get everything. I started with Zach Galifianakis. We started about the same time in the same room, stand up New York and industry when they saw him just, just fell in love, you know? And if you watched us even back in 1997, you know, nobody would go on that stage and go, he had a worse, better set than me, you know, but I didn't care. They like Zach. I like Zach. I thought he's funny. You know, like he's cute and funny and, and whatever that is. And they just went for it. And you know what? They ended up being right. You know, he did all these movies. He showed his talent. He did the hangover and never thought like, you know, woes me. Never. I wanted to do this. Them's the breaks. That's a really important lesson. It's so hard for some people not to compare themselves. Why them, not me? And it's funny because there's, you're always somewhere on the scale. The concern always comes back to, can you enjoy the day? Can you go out with your family and have a really nice day? Are you constantly thinking about the next break, about the next thing? And you're just never able to live in the moment. No, I really did what I wanted to do. I said, I, I hit the goal. And then it was, there was like, what am I going to do next? That was definitely a thing. But the goal that I set was so important to me. I was like, the rest is gravy. You know, can I make a living? You know, how long can I make a living? That was, that was the next goal. But, but I always say, be ready. So I had the next set ready. If somebody called to do a set, I had a half hour ready. If they wanted me to do a half hour special, I had an hour ready, you know, just, just keep working. And I really believe this for all the young people is like, it's all about the next joke. Like you're a stand-up comedian, work on your act, 
get it really great, you know, and then if somebody goes, hey, we need you to do this show, or I like your writing, come write on my show, or we need you to use whatever this personality of yours is to be on a show, whatever that was, like, just keep going with, just keep all these skills, everything you want to do in the business, just keep doing it, you know, because eventually one of these skills may break. And the weirdest thing happened, you know, like after I was like, well, I'm just going to keep working on my next album, whatever. And then I met Leslie, all the skills came into play. I've done all of them. Hey, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> How did you meet Leslie? The comedy seller, you know, we were sitting there. I was watching the Yankees. I'm a huge Yankees fan. And Esty, who runs the comedy seller, was like, is also a huge Yankees fan. All we do all summer between sets is eat oh, and watch the Yankees. Don't talk to me, okay? <laughs> so, so we, uh, you know, then one Leslie was came back to do Saturday Night Live, came to New York to do Saturday Night Live. But on the summers, she would come down and want to do sets. She was working on her act again because she wanted to, you know, eventually go on the road. And, um, and she was like, she looked at me and Esty just yakking away one day, looked at me and goes, Hey, do you want to, I can get tickets to that, to the Yankees. And I know exactly the ticket she's talking about. She just, as soon as she said it, Lauren Michael seats are right behind the catcher, like right behind home plate. And I had seen comics there forever in those seats. And all I thought is I'll give you anything, anything you want. That is my, that was like one of my dreams to sit in that seat. I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll go whenever you want to go. And then she took my number and I was like, this chick's never calling me in a million years. That was very sweet though. And sure enough, the phone rings and it's like, you want to go to a game? I'm like, uh, yes, I do, Leslie Jones. And uh, it started like that. We had a great time. I took Neil, believe it or not. Uh, she took her assistant. We had the world's greatest time. And then to pay her back, you know, I, she would come down to the cellar. I was like, I'll, I'm going to watch her act. I never seen it. You know, I was like, I'm going to watch her act. And I went, I watched it and Miss No Setless goes up there and starts riffing away on stuff. I'm like, man, I got a joke for that. I got a joke for that. I got a line for that. And so I just, I'm standing in a corner and I just start writing down some notes. And I realized I got so many notes. I've never written so many notes. She had so much stuff in 15 minutes and she comes off and I go, she's like, oh, hey, I go, do you want, and I never give anybody a note. I would never, ever give anybody a note. I mean, I'd have to, you'd have to be my best friend for me to go, hey man, you want a line? You know, but I just said to pay her back for those Yankee tickets because I thought it was the greatest thing ever. I went, hey, I got, do you have any interest in a couple of lines? I think I come up with, and she goes, yeah. And I was shocked. I was like, really? Yeah. So I like come upstairs. So I give her the lines and this is how amazing she is. She, she loves them. She goes, come around the corner. I'm doing another one. I go around the corner. Not only she do the lot, she does them like better than I probably could do them first time out, you know, like puts them, incorporates them into play. And I go like, you know, eight for 10, nine for 10, miracle, flat out miracle. You know, nobody goes eight for 10, nine for 10, first time. Murdering. She comes just, out. She's just like, by getting it that day, that, that night. Day, that wow. night. And then we did it again. She, by the second time, she was like, okay, who are you? And then she started asking around. They were like, no, he's the real deal. So, which was really nice of all the people to back me. And uh, oh, my Lenny Marcus. <laughs> beloved, beloved Lenny Marcus. Beloved Lenny Marcus. <laughs> and then, uh, and then we would do this pattern, go to a game, whatever. And then eventually she was like, I don't know what was going on on Team Leslie, but she was like, hey, you want to open for me? This was late 2017, like playoffs. And then she's like, you want to open for me the early next year? I did. And then she was like, do you want to go to the Olympics? 
So she took me to the Olympics and I'm, I'm like, what am I writing at the Olympics? What are we doing? In the-? And it's like, she just keeps throwing me in the pool. And, uh, you know, I've written for award shows and, and Olympic stuff and tweets and commercials and her special. I helped write her special. We collaborated special. And now- Well, I mean, that, that goes to say, Lenny, too, like that ability to write. And I, me and Mike always talk about this. Having more than one thing, just being a great stand-up. Right, yeah, more arrows in your quiver, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it was nice because- she's very supportive of like, no, I want you to be as funnier than me. You know, she wants, she wants me to be like really, really strong. So when she goes on the road, they see a great show. And so she's very, you know, open to like, yeah, go back and do stand up, go back in. So I get to keep doing what I'm doing unless we're doing, you know, crazy projects, which are getting a little crazier now, but she keep, I get more and more responsibility. Yeah. And all of that stuff came into play. All of the arrows. What kind of stuff are you doing now? Well, I wrote the special with her. We won, they won the um, people's choice award for best special um, time machine. Um, then we went and did, we wrote uh, we, the game show supermarket sweep. So I'm the co-executive producer of that. And I think I'll probably be an executive producer if it comes back for, season two it looks like that probably will happen um fingers crossed we're writing a movie a remake of a movie from the 70s i can't talk about it but the big pitch meeting is probably end of the week for sony tristar hopefully we think that's gonna go we're pretty confident so i'm gonna end up you know the story is by me and then i'm gonna have to help her fix rewrite you know whoever comes in to help us write it i'm writing a movie um and then she's got a couple other projects that they want for her, which I'm probably going to end up being a writer on. We've written the Facebook portal commercials you've seen. You know, there's a lot. This is you got a lot going on. Lot. I mean, every time I see you walking down the street, you just don't wear this on your shoulder, um, man. What's wrong? It's just like you go away, you do the project, you come back, you do more stand-up comedy. Right. I don't think about it. Because it seems like you've always, from this conversation, had a belief in yourself and confidence, which is which is great. And I think more people could use but what does times of self-doubt, if you can give one example of something you had to overcome and did? Well, this one hurt. And I don't think it's not, it's just like to fulfill my happiness thing. I've done everything. So even if it's, you know, I'm not making any money, I'm still pretty happy. And, and all the, you know, do what you love, the money will follow. That little thing came true for me. But the one day that got me was I've been working on the Letterman thing for a long time, for like 16 years, 16, 17 years. And I had gone, there was like this Nebraska Comedy Festival and people were like, go out there because Eddie Brill runs the Nebraska Comedy Festival. He hasn't seen you in a while. I go out there, I get to like the finals of the Nebraska Comedy Festival. It goes really well. I come back to New York. I go, Eddie, can I get on, can you audition me for Letterman? And he's like, send me a tape. I'm like, holy fuck, Eddie. Um, I just did the set at the Nebraska Comedy Festival. I got to your finals, you know, like that's the set he goes well send me that set i'm like you get the set you take all the sets right so anyway before i digress so anyway you you get the set so i go so he goes all right i'll uh, let me take a look at it let me take a look at the set so he comes in takes a look at and he likes it that was on like a thursday he goes all right we'll work on it i'll get you a date for the show and i'm like this is the greatest thing ever that weekend he uh, there was an article came out in the times and he got fired after like 25 years of work in there, wherever it was, he got fired that way. I'm reading the New York times and Eddie's gone. Right. So now I'm like, Oh my God, I would, he said, I had the show. Now what do I do? Right. I find out who's booking it. 
I get them on the phone and they're like, well, let me, let us see the set. Now, Eddie wanted me to send it to him just for time. And, and, you know, he knew that what the jokes would do, but he goes, go into the strip any, like on a Tuesday, it doesn't matter. Just get me a tape. So I get it to him and it was like eight people in the crowd and it did well for eight people, but the new people saw that tape and they were like, I don't know. I'm like, I'm sorry, what? I don't know. No, no, this tape was just for time. This wasn't for, you know, murdering in front of eight people, you know? And they were like, you're gonna have to re-audition. And that's when I had the word, <laughs> that was it. That was, that was the one that was like, oh my God, I'm gonna go back. To, I, I don't have another 17 years to work on a new booker or somebody to real see this now. He saw it, it's, it was done, it was a done deal. And then wow. I had to uh, re-audition for the show. I mean, I walked around the block. I walked, I was, I was in bed for a half a day and I was like, well, I'm gonna, this is it. You know, do you wanna tell them to go fuck themselves and be done with this and just, just do what you're doing? Or do you wanna like play this game? Cause this is what you want. And I was like, and my friends were like, you know what? Just go and audition for the show. The set's gold, you know? And, uh, and I did, I called her, I'm like, all right, I'll audition in a room I've never played. Um, I think it was uh, Broadway Comedy Club. I don't think I was ever, I don't think I was, I was there ever, you know? And then I knocked it so far. My friends were like, we're coming, we're coming because I want to see the people to their face who are not going to book you after this. That my all like my five best friends came to that show and they sat in the back and they watched me just crush. They come out and they go, if you don't get the show after that set, it's never <laughs> happening. It's never <laughs> happening. It's just never happened. And they they walked up and then and they uh, and they they said, Yeah, okay. We I'm sorry. That's amazing. You know, they apologized. And then when I did the show and it killed so bad, the producers came, Bill Chef came upstairs and they came up and they're like, listen, I know we you've been through a lot but um it would just it was worth it you know it was just great, you, man. so that was a tough one but it was it, yeah so you, you didn't have thoughts of well then i'm quitting or uh I, the universe is working against me or any of that kind of stuff that people like do. i said for about for about half a day half a day i'm like what do i gotta do <laughs> so what do i have to years, do? you had half a day of half a day that's it no wonder you half think it's fun and brings you happiness you're that yeah. one guy. It wasn't even for me, the Letterman. I mean, that was my goal, but it was it was more for my my father was still alive and he was getting older and he, you know, like he thought this was a bunch of garbage. He was waiting for me to go back to computer programming, even if it was 17 <laughs> years. Um, my sister was like, he's people were like, he's really funny. How come he never gets anything? You know, there's a lot of like it was it was a you good had to prove it right. to yourself too you had to prove it to yourself yeah, that was your everest right yeah that was it you know i had to prove it you know and it's just but i never people were like were you nervous no i was excited like when people see it like you look nervous no and some people were like no 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 that was that was me i could my character is not necessarily happy go lucky but uh I couldn't contain it. I walked through those curtains. I was like, this is the greatest thing. Yeah, you know, I, always, I always think about that moment when you're being introduced, you're standing behind that curtain and you're seconds away from walking out that adrenaline uh, that, you know, that must even be a combination of exciting and terrifying at the same time. I don't know. Absolutely. That's what it is. Exciting and terrifying. Absolutely. Just ter I'm freezing. 
I mean, Letterman Studio is like 50 degrees, you know, but my, oh, it doesn't matter. It could have been 100. I'm freezing. I was at, I, I think saw, the, I saw that set too, man. I remember uh, just how it, it was explosive. And then yeah. I remember Letterman coming out and you were like, <laughs> oh, my, it was Father's Day too. My dad was there and I'm like, you know, like, happy Father's Day. And he goes, he goes, oh, uh, um, what do you say? Are you a dad or something? I'm like, no, but my dad is in the audience. And then, he, you know, he waved. It was, it was so great. I can't even, we couldn't even talk on the way home. My dad was in, almost in tears, you know, it was, it was just, but then he's like, you know, 24 hours later, what now? You know, he thinks like. Right. That, that's, that's life, right? <laughs> it also sounds like you found a way to play the game on your own terms. You yeah, I mean, that's what, yeah, I think that's what you have to do. You have to play the game on your own terms. If they want you, they'll come get you. Hey man, um, I, I admire the way you did. It's, it's, it's rare. I mean, and I, and I, I know, so many comedians and some of them and i will never say their names but it's so miserable you know yeah well they're chasing um, it a lot of people yeah. get into be famous yeah. i got into be happy and that's the difference i feel bad for those guys to be honest with you because the guy they're some of these guys are super funny i mean super funny but they're chasing yes. this thing that may or may not happen and it may or may not be out of their control you know, so you get all the great managers, all the great stuff you want. If the planets don't line up or for whatever reason, they don't, you know, it just doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. And, you, you know, there's been suicides over that. And those are the people I feel just awful for, you know, yeah. they fly into a slide into a bottle or they'll, you know, just self-destructive behavior, whatever it is. It's like, look, you just have to love writing the next joke and then all the other stuff will come or it won't. Yeah. Just that you chose the artist life. That's what it is. Uh, thank <laughs> you, Lenny. Great. Man. I appreciate you, man. All right. Well, thank you so much, man. This is right. amazing. Anytime. Be well. Good luck. You too. Thank you. Okay, Mo, let them know how they can support us. Make sure to subscribe to Comedy Anatomy and give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Comedy Anatomy and on Twitter at comedy underscore anatomy.